Welcome to Week in Review, where we recap events and issues pertinent to Central Illinois. I'm WMBD News Director Will Stevenson. First up, China. The discovery of what U.S. officials believe was a Chinese spy balloon over Montana Thursday, flying across other parts of the U.S., including parts of Illinois Friday, is a great concern for one local lawmaker. Congressman Darren LaHood sits on some House committees that will be looking into the matter. On Friday, the Dunlap Republicans spoke about that and other issues in Congress with WMBD's Greg Batten and Dan DiOrio. I was very honored to be appointed to the Select Committee on China, and, and a couple things to be aware of. So this was one of the first bills that new Speaker McCarthy put on the House floor to create the Select Committee on China. It's a very small committee. It's going to be 11 Republicans, 9 Democrats. When we voted on it, over 100 Democrats supported it on, on the House floor because there's a recognition in a bipartisan way that we have to do something different about China. That's mm-hmm. number one. Number two, I also serve on the Intelligence Committee. Uh, make no mistake about it. China has a plan to replace us, and they're working at it every single day, whether that's uh, taking over our economy whether it's national security issues, whether it's trade issues, whether it's technology issues, whether it's diplomatic issues. Uh, and the quicker that we realize that, uh, the better off we're going to be. But, and, and let's make no mistake about it, the, the Chinese Communist Party presents generational challenges that are going to impact everything in our country. And so that's why we put this together. The last point that I would make on this too, Greg and Dan, is Let's also remember the adversary that China is. Putin's number one ally in the war with Ukraine is China. Uh, You know, uh, Xi Jinping calls it an unbreakable bond. And so uh, for all of those reasons, we set up this committee. And I don't look at this as a Republican or Democrat issue. It's an American issue. And so that's why we set up the committee. Uh, It's going to be led in a very bipartisan way. And and we're going to come up with policy uh, provisions on, from an economic standpoint, from a national security standpoint, from a technology standpoint, to make sure America is best positioned. You know, uh, Darren, <clears throat> one of the best weapons we have is economics. And you can't get really a, a good handle on where China's economics are. But a lot of experts said they're walking a thin line. They are an aging society. Uh, they can't keep up with, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> between fossil fuels and green energy. They just can't keep up with their economy. Uh, and they said if we really squeeze them economically, that's probably the best way to confront them. Well, I don't disagree with it. That's going to be a big part of our special committee, Dan, and I'm glad you mentioned it. But you're right. They have a systemic problems. They have demographic problems. They still have huge problems with covid they're over-leveraged with uh, all the property and, and all the infrastructure they've built. Uh, and you can't, you know, they're very deceitful in terms of, uh, you know, uh, giving information on what their economics are in terms of their debt. But if you look, Dan, at our like-minded allies in the Indo-Pacific region, Japan, South Korea, Indonesia, Philippines, Australia, they are craving our leadership, Dan, and we ought to be using our economic leverage, particularly on the trade side. We ought to create a, a trading block over there. And frankly, the Biden administration hasn't done that the last two years, but that's what we ought to focus on. So that'll be a big part of this is we ought to write the rules of the road for the Indo-Pacific trade uh, region and, and, uh, and lead there. I think that will be helpful also. 
Well, I thought Obama had a good idea with the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, to build an economic trading block surrounding China. And if they wanted to get in, there's a lot of things they had to do, including, you know, stop stealing our property, uh, you know, uh, spying on our companies. Is there any uh, talk about bringing back some form of the TPP? Absolutely. Now, the TPP was not perfect, but we ought to take out of that what what could be beneficial in the framework um, and, and use that. Uh, but, but you're right in terms of uh, China plays by a different set of rules and standards than every other industrialized country in the world. And they've gotten away with it, Dan. Uh, and so there has to be consequences to that. And the way you do that is you set up some form of TPP uh, that, again, uh, we write the rules of the road and we kind of isolate China. We haven't been able to do that, and that'll be a big part of what we're going to propose as part of this select committee. Hey, uh, Congressman, the part that seems almost impossible for me to understand how to get around is the uh, uh, just the, the so many American corporations are intrinsically uh, linked to China. I mean, we, we, we they have plants there. They, they trade. Uh, and so around all of the bad stuff that you just perfectly described that we should be very, very concerned about, we also have to preserve that. That's a tricky proposition. Well, Greg, so, so you are exactly right. There are many that want to go to a Cold War mentality with China. But let's, to your point, this is, China is, today is not what Russia was 40 years ago. We didn't have the economic relationship with Russia. We are intertwined at every level, manufacturing, technology, uh, you know, financial services with China. They have a middle class of 500 million. We sell a lot of corn and soybeans to them. Uh, Caterpillar, for instance, has 29 manufacturing plants in China. So it's a little different. So there's been a lot of talk about decoupling. We get companies to decouple. So they stay in Asia, but maybe they go to Vietnam, they go to Singapore, they go to Thailand, they go to one of our allies there. But that is very difficult to do unless you help, uh, you know, give them some incentive and work with those countries to do that. So... It's a tricky situation um, when, when we are intertwined, and, and that'll be part of what we have to deal with. But the bottom line is you're dealing with a authoritarian regime uh, in the Communist Party. And, and again, that's why we got to get with our, our, our allies in the world that, again, are democracies and enforce China. The last point that I would make, Greg, when China was brought into the World Trade Organization 20 years ago in 2001, the argument was bring China in. They're going to democratize. They're going to westernize. They're going to become more like us. That didn't happen. Yeah. And so there's a lot of talk about how we reform that. You know, and one last thing I, I think, uh, and I'm not a huge fan of his, but he did take the right stance on certain things, and that was Donald Trump. Make America great again. We need our manufacturing strong. We need to make products here that are a part of our national security be it, uh, you know, computer chips or whatever, uh, reinvesting at home also is part of this approach towards China, isn't it? Dan, it, yes, it is. And we saw that during COVID when almost 95% of everything we needed, PPE, reagents for testing, pharmaceutical drugs, they were all manufactured in China. So we started bringing some of that back now. Uh, we've incentivized that through a couple pieces of legislation we passed on tax credits but you're exactly right this is a national security issue and bringing that back and and then as it relates to technology as it relates to ai as it relates to computer chips those things are starting to happen but not quick enough 
What about the balloon? I'm sorry, I didn't get to the balloon. Yes, it's very concerning. This morning, Speaker McCarthy asked for a briefing uh, with the Gang of Eight, that's the top eight leaders, to get specific information. I am concerned, Greg, because of the assets we have in Montana and mm-hmm. that part of our country related to some of our, it's been publicly reported, our nuclear arsenal, the air base there. Listen, I, I don't, again, I don't trust the Chinese in this because I've seen their uh, malign activities elsewhere. Uh, and so it's concerning to me, but we need to get the facts and evidence. All right, one last thing, and then we're, we know you got a meeting to go to, and we got to take a break. Uh, you're exploring, I don't think you've actually done it yet, but exploring legislation uh, to uh, provide stronger penalties if you have documents in your garage. Well, yeah, all, all of this um, information that's come up on classified documents, obviously it's inexcusable from my point of view. I don't care who does it. But when you look at the current statute, Greg and Dan, it just relates to criminal. So it, it turns on intent and knowledge. What we're doing, I'm partnering with Mike Quigley, a Democrat, on the Intelligence Committee. We want to add to the statute. So if it's, if, if it's just sloppiness or negligence or it was an accident, um, you can be fined up to $5 million. Right now under the statute, you can't do that. Secondly, we take away your security clearance and we prohibit you from looking at classified documents into the future. We need to have that in there so we deter this type of activity. So we've introduced this, got bipartisan support. And so it's not an either or. Obviously, we've got to get to the bottom of what happened with, the, with Biden in his, at his place in Delaware and his office and the other two instances. But we cannot continue to have this happen. And so putting further penalties in there, we think, makes, makes sense. Has that been introduced yet or is that still in the process? Um, so we, we, we have the language. Uh, we'll have it introduced by next week. More Week in Review coming up. Next, the state of East Peoria. We got the annual update on Friday from East Peoria Mayor John Call speaking in his annual State of the City speech to members of the East Peoria Chamber of Commerce. Time doesn't permit us to bring you the entire speech, but we thought you should hear, among other things, what the mayor had to say about infrastructure spending and the city's five-year capital plan. This council quickly realized the needs of the entire city. And the only way to work together and get things done was to roll up your sleeves and recognize the fact that we have to set aside any differences that we had. We had to set aside the fact that we're a commission form of government and look as a unified team and focus on the needs of the entire city. And that's what we've done for the last four years. And you'll see, especially this year, um, things have come into fruition. So. This is the beginning. We will approve our budget here within the next uh, month or so. That will go before City Council. The way we do things here in East Peoria, we separate the operating budget from the capital budget. And we hold a working session on the operating side of things, get those nailed down, because typically um, they run flat. There may be some increases based on uh, the conditions that we're dealing with. Then we bring back the Council. We do another working session on the capital needs of the city. And then once we nail down that budget, we put it all together and we bring the entire thing. This year's budget will be just under $70 million. And I'm pleased to announce, even though the slide's going to look a little different the next one, and I'll explain why, it's a balanced budget. And the city of East Peoria has had a balanced budget for well over 20 years, which says a lot about how we do business here in East Peoria. So on the revenue side, 
you'll see that we have a broken out here on this chart. Uh, general fund-wise, we're just a little over $30 million this year. But we broke it down by fund so people can have an understanding. And this slide presentation will be shared, as boring as slide presentations are. Uh, it'll be made available later today, uh, and we'd be happy to, to provide it to anybody so you can see the breakdown. So on the revenue side, we're just under $70 million. On the expense side, and I'm going to go into the capital improvements here, you'll see that's a little higher than the revenue side. Why is that? Well, we received about $3.6 million all in on ARPA funds, and then we also had what's called RBI funds, Rebuild Illinois funds. So is what we've elected to do here in the city of East Peoria is use those uh, towards capital improvements, capital projects. And we're, we're going to explain those here shortly. As you see, most of our capital, uh, most of our expenses this year are tied into capital improvements, and those are going to be on the public work side, and I'll be super excited to announce what we're going to do with those funds. So here's our capital plan. As I said, this is a five-year plan. This one is specific to this year. Um, super excited to announce that literally this is about three times more than what we spent last year on capital improvements. Um, we're looking at just over $15.1 million this year. And I'm going to break some of this down for you. So the largest portion of what we're going to accomplish this year is $6.1 million in street improvements. That's a big number for us. Um, typically, East Peoria, and we have a lot of streets. Um, sadly, we've just not invested in our streets as people expect and deserve. This year, that's going to change. We're actually allocating $6.1 million towards street improvements. These are the, what I've posted up here are the major improvements, so you're all aware. Camp and Riverside, that's what's called a Puats project. That's been in the works for some time. Unfortunately, the costs have gone up. That project is still moving forward. That will be later this year. Uh, for those that don't know, that's at Camp Street Crossing and Office Max, that intersection. That's about $1.5 million. Grange Road. People have complained about the condition of Grange Road for, for many years. That's actually going to, that section that we're going to uh, replace is actually going to be shut down this year. And we'll make sure to provide plenty of notice. Fairlane Drive. That's, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't believe that's been touched in 30 years. So uh, we appreciate your patience, by the way. Yeah. Um, Veterans. Veterans will be improved this year, Winter's Way. West Washington and West Camp, I want to speak to that because Senator Kaler is in the audience and he secured some funding and we are hoping to get those projects uh, on the books last year. It didn't pan out. So between the funds that the Senator secured for East Peoria and the funds that the city's been putting, we're improving West Washington from Holiday Inn in front of Caterpillar up to the flyover and then West Camp that small section, whatever reason it was left out when the city made its improvements, that will be improved this year as well. East Washington Street, that's another PUATS project. So we will, you'll see improvements this year on East Washington from Maine over to 74. Um, as a PUATS project, 80% of the funds came from PUATS or now Tri-County Regional Planning Commission. And then the city kicked in some money now IDOT's reached out and they would like to work with the city and improve their stretch which runs under 74. So we're going to try to tie all that together which makes perfect sense. 
Uh, and then I'm really pleased to announce for the first time in a long time, we're gonna spend $2 million just on residential streets. And I wanna stress the importance of a capital plan because the city council in the capital plan that we will be approving here this next month, you'll see that at minimum, we're going to dedicate at least $2 million a year in residential street improvements moving forward. Uh, capital improvement plan. Here's some uh, other exciting news. East side. I've mentioned the last two years that you're going to see some vast improvements to East side. I look back at how visionary East Peoria has been as a city, and this, this goes out to the elected officials that have served literally for the last 30 years when you look at what East Peoria offers. East side sports complex, there was nothing like it. Uh, when East Peoria decided to uh, build that out. The important part, when you build things, you have to maintain them. We recognize that. And as you see all these other sports complex popping up, you have to keep up with what you have. So this council's recognized that, and we've invested in Eastside to date. And for those that uh, have not been up there, please take a look at the two fields that we turfed. Uh, we just wrapping up, uh, uh, artificial turfing two of the fields. That will include new dugouts, new fencing. We're improving the concession stands up there. We're dumping about $100,000 into the two concession stands as we speak. So those will be up and running by time spring games roll out. So the decision has been made this year to turf two more fields. Um, Eastport Marina, for all my voters out there, we've heard for many, many years the fact that the city's not kept up on its marina. We made some changes, um, kind of forced to, but in a good way, it's, oh, everything's always a blessing. So uh, Jeff Becker, our finance director, really stepped up to the plate. We've made some changes in the management side of Eastport. We put some money into it last year. You've seen some improvements. And the one thing that we knew that we had to do was invest in dredging operations. That marina hasn't been dredged in probably five or six years. So we're gonna invest a million dollars to get that dredged out this year. Comprehensive plan, the city hasn't updated its comprehensive plan in many, many years. So that's another um, collaboration with Tri-County Regional Planning Commission and the importance it plays in, in working together as a region to get things done. Uh, water and sewer main replacement. We're gonna invest another million dollars. We've done a lot of work this year. I know that stuff is not sexy to some, but when you have infrastructure that's 100 years old, you're on borrowed time, and it's time to start fixing things. East Peoria Mayor John Call. More Week in Review, coming up. A revamped law is a concern for county clerks in western and central Illinois who got together recently in Peoria to talk about it with lawmakers. A state rental housing support program is funded in part from county clerks recording real estate documents. $9 of that fee funds the program, but it's going to go up to $18 July 1st. What's more, the clerks claim Chicago and Cook County take more of the money than they put in. WMBD's T.J. Carson talked about that with Tazewell County Clerk John Ackerman and also with State Senator Dave Kaler. What was the main message you wanted to send to the legislators today? You know, these little tax increases, going from 9 to 
Is that really a big deal? Well, it is when the taxpayers can't see how that revenue is being utilized. It's these small uh, tax increases that are buried in the weeds that are the most costly to them. And we were bringing up to them all of that revenue that we've been collecting directly for them. We haven't seen any benefit from that. We're not seeing the grants being returned, not just to Tazewell County, but to counties throughout central Illinois. Um, I think you heard that from every clerk that stood up, not receiving nothing from this, receiving nothing, or that it's extraordinarily difficult to be able to utilize. That's what we need them to hear so that we can start seeing some of that revenue come back. Currently under the formula that exists today, 70% of the funding is utilized by, by legislation directly to the city of Chicago and to Cook County, while only 36% of the revenue comes from the city of Chicago. So they're paying only 36% of the bill but receiving 70% of the benefits. There's an inequity there that needs to be fixed so that downstate Illinois starts to receive some of the benefits from this program as well. So it sounds like there are people utilizing it, just not down here. Yeah, the counties that we found that have been listed as receiving the revenue, um, they don't know how it's being utilized in their counties. They can't identify it. So we question, is it really being utilized? Um, in Cook County and Chicago, we know it is, and there's a couple other pockets. But the vast, overwhelming majority of the state of Illinois is seeing no benefit from this project, but is required to keep funding it, and as of July 1st, to double the amount of funding that they're providing. And it sounded like, from what we heard from a lot of the testimony today, a lot of these county clerks and housing authorities just weren't aware of this. Yeah, my housing authority, I called them and said, do you realize I'm putting required to put in $150,000 a year? Now with this increase, it'd be $300,000 a year. No, no, we didn't have any idea. So there needs to be, why haven't they heard about this from the state? Why? It just shows that the state program is just not working. Now these funds, can they, are they for a specific purpose or can they be how each county or region area determines how to use? Well, the funding that goes to the city of Chicago is theirs to use any way they want. The funding that goes to the rest of us, there's a program that is very that is outlined that's very strict. That's part of the thing that we're talking about is loosen the strings on our portion as well so that we can utilize this funding like the city of Chicago is benefiting from it. Now there is a task force being created for this. What, what would you like to see out of this task force? We want to make sure, one, that we have local representation on that task force so that our voice can be heard in this. But then task force only recommend changes to legislation. It takes the legislators to act, actually take action and enact it. So we want to make sure that our local legislators work with us to make sure that the recommendations from the task force are enacted so that we can fix the inequity in the distribution. And that's why it was important to have all of them here today. Absolutely. To have a bipartisan coalition of downstate legislators that are concerned and wanting to do that. And I will say for our local uh, contingent of legislators, that. I'm very proud at the response we receive. They are engaged. They do want to help fix us. What would you like to see come out of this task force? Any like recommendations, or any specific recommendations, anything that you would like to see them when they get done? It's like, okay, this is what they need to do. Yeah, I think that a, a portion, about a quarter of it, needs to remain with every county. So at least a quarter of the funding that I'm generating for this program needs to remain within Tazewell County and hopefully be something that, as county clerk recorder, I can distribute then to the housing authorities and other 
taxing bodies that are utilizing rental housing support to help offset the cost that we already have. In my county, my townships already have a rental housing program established that they tax property, they collect property tax revenue for. If I could use my portion to offset that and reduce that property tax burden, it's a win-win for residents of Tazewell County. They get to see how that revenue I collect is being utilized and it lowers the property tax rate along the way. That's just my recommendation. We need these, the task force to consider these things and come back with some way that we are all seeing the benefits here locally. Another thing that was kind of brought up is how is East Peoria a rural area? Like that, you seem like some of those, it sounded like you wanted to see some of those definitions changed as well. Yeah, it seemed like the, uh, if Rantoul is considered a small metro, how is, uh, how is East Peoria not? It, it doesn't seem like there's a rhyme or reason to that. So we need those definitions to be updated and fixed as well. Another thing I guess I would look at is we picked this location in Peoria County for a reason. Peoria County Courthouse is less than one mile from the poorest zip code within the state of Illinois for the south, that represents the south side of Peoria. If this is the poorest zip code within the state of Illinois, and yet Peoria County is contributing over $250,000 a year and only receiving back in grants less than $10,000, there's a problem. If that's not where the need is, is at, where is it? Um, it leaves us with a lot of questions. And I think that was the big thing is when we started talking as an association, County Clerk's Association realized the Tazewell County story is not unique. The overwhelming majority of counties in the state are all in that same boat. That, that's just showing that something's not right. This program needs to be fixed. And I, I'm hopeful that our legislators will work with us to fix it. I mean, kind of go back to those definitions for a moment. Is there what's the importance of redefining like East Peoria as a small metro? Or is there an importance to that? Yeah, there's brackets that are uh, broke out in this for distribution currently. Now, again, all of this is subject to change with this task force. But the current brackets are 40% goes to the city of Chicago, 26% goes to Cook County. 15% goes to what's defined as small metro areas, and that's where Pekin's included, but East Peoria is not. And then 16% goes to rural parts of the county. Well, 16% of the funding trying to be distributed over the overwhelming majority of the state will show you that there's an inequity there. This came up uh, early in January when we had a bill that was going to raise the, uh, the fee uh, collected by the county clerks from $9 to $18 in terms of, uh, of real estate transactions. And um, nobody was, had really paid attention to it until then. And all of a sudden it was like, well, you're doubling the fee uh, and creating a bigger pot of money. So what is going on at this program? And then people started finding out, well, that most of this, uh, people in the downstate areas didn't know anything about it, didn't know how to apply for it, didn't know it existed. Uh, the money was uh, going to Chicago because they knew about it and they were asking for it. I mean, it's a competitive grant situation, so you have to ask for the money to be able to get it. Uh, but there's just a lot of things that... Uh, you know, we shouldn't operate a government program that way. First of all, people shouldn't be in the dark about about what's going on with it. So, um, you know, uh, the, the the bill did pass. Uh, so there's there's now an eighteen dollar fee collected, uh, and you know, John Ackerman and uh, and Rachel Parker and some of the other clerks around the uh, area um, started asking questions and asked, and they actually put this uh, panel together of, of legislators to come and to listen to some of the concerns. I think we share in it a common goal of let's make sure that, uh, that this program works fairly, uh, that there's uh, understanding about how it works and how you access it, 
and uh, that the rules are just set up in a, in a fair way that the downstate communities aren't uh, disadvantaged by this. So uh, we're, we're going to take it upon ourselves within the Senate caucus. Uh, I talked to uh, Senator Sally Turner, and she'll uh, work with me in, in terms of, of getting with uh, ID, uh, Ida and, and looking at just what we can do to give our input in this process. Yeah, you were talking a little bit about allocation as well for requests. What are some things that Central Illinois can do to make sure that we're putting our best foot forward to get more of that money instead of sending more? Yeah, well, we need to uh, find out, first of all, uh, who needs to apply. Is it, is it the housing authorities themselves? Uh, is it uh, the housing authorities uh, working in conjunction with the private sector? Uh, you know, what kind of projects are we talking about? Are we talking about individual units? Or are we talking about uh, d developments? Uh, I mean, is this seed money for, for helping to uh, fund uh, other uh, developing of, of, of housing stock in our area? Uh, there's a lot of unanswered questions, but uh, all, of, all of the above is what we're going to try to find out. From what it sounded like, you said this was not, it, it's not a Republican-Democrat issue, it's a no, bipartisan issue. It it's kind of like downstate in Chicago, kind of in that way, too. Well, a lot of issues uh, in Illinois are uh, downstate versus uh, Chicago or versus the metro area. We all have different needs, and, and I'm not saying we, we uh, you know, go out of our way to pit ourselves against each other, but, but there are just different needs. And uh, this is a program that uh, uh, existed without any knowledge of how it worked for the downstate communities. Therefore, most of the money was going to Chicago, and uh, we understand that. But as you as you heard in the testimony today, uh, we pay a lot of money into that fund. Maybe not as much as Cook County and Chicago, but we still pay a lot of money into that fund. So how do we make this uh, equitable program? Because we have housing needs. You know, uh, we may not have it in the same uh, uh, you know intensity that Chicago has it, but we have you know homeless I issues in uh, in Peoria, in uh, Bloomington, in Springfield, and you know the places downstate. So we you know we need to make make sure that uh, that if there's something available as a resource, that we can tap into it. More week in review coming up. The controversy surrounding the Peoria Rivermen and the Peoria Civic Center continues. Rivermen players, or at least their spouses, are now speaking out about the situation. With the understanding that the Peoria Rivermen have repeatedly declined our invitations to talk on the air about this, we have tried to get the other sides in the dispute. Here's Emily Hageman, married to longtime Riverman player Alec Hageman, along with fan and businessman Jared O'Brien, talking with WMBD's Greg Batten and Dan DiOrio. Before we talk about this with our guests, I always have to say this because I never want somebody to assume that um, I'm sneaking something by you. Uh, I have a personal connection to all of this as my wife, Yvonne, is the chairwoman of the Civic Center Authority Board. Uh, we don't sit around and conspire. My wife, Danny, can attest, uh, doesn't tell anybody anything when it's Yeah, I'm like, what's going on? What's going on? I He's don't like, know anything more than anybody me. else does because yeah. she won't tell me. So it's not like I have inside information, but I am interested bystander in all of this. Can I ask the first question I'll ask you, Emily? And by the way, I should also say, full disclosure here, your husband is one of the Rivermen, Alec. Um, uh, what, what, what motivated you to speak that night? And we'll talk about the issue here in a minute, but I just want to know where you came from that evening. So I think kind of like you, people might think that I'm privy to information that I am not privy to, um, be, being a wife of the Riverman. Sure. Um, yeah, I would think that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, first of all, where our schedules are completely opposite. I go to work, <laughs> come home. He yeah. goes to all of his stuff. Yeah. He's gone on road trips, especially yeah. right now. 
Um, I spoke because I've been part of the Riverman community for nine years. Um, These people have taken me in. I moved away from Wisconsin specifically because my husband wanted a career with the Riverman. Sure. So um, I'm here because of them, and without them, I would be devastated. My kids grew up. It, with it, it couldn't be more personal for you, if I may put Extremely. words in your mouth. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Jared, what, Jared, what about you? You have a, a little bit of a different perspective there. You're not married to a player, but you're a supporter, you're a sponsor, all those kind of things. Yeah, I so happen to be 41 years old, the same age as the Rivermen, so I grew up on the Rivermen, yeah. uh, going to games my whole life. Now I have three kids of my own. Uh, so it's it's beautiful to see it in their eyes how much they love the game. You know, one of the things that brought was brought up at that meeting many times by I think you, both of you and maybe others as well was uh, that it's uh, affordable. That is an affordable thing to do because sometimes things at the Civic Center or anywhere else in the world right now are more expensive, and so a family can still go to a game and 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 that's important to you, right? Yeah, they they can go to games. I can get tickets for them to go like go to games, especially um, I work at a school. So I've been working on getting like my kids to the games. I just brought them all to the Education Day game. Oh, nice. Yeah, um, that's cool. Again, all of the, it's even cooler when you know a player on the ice to hear my own students ch- right. chanting like, let's go, Hagman. <laughs> it's super awesome. <laughs> that and is to good. be able to do that during a school day um, and use it as a behavior incentive reward yeah. is amazing. And they thank me for that. So so let's get to the nitty gritty here. The, the, the emotion part, I get, everybody understands that. Nobody, nobody wants to hurt anybody, right? Uh, but there is an economic part of all of this. There is the ice plant, if you're not privy to that. That's the, the mechanism by which ice is made. That unit's been failing over the last number of years. It leaks a lot, uh, and there is a big cost to replace it. And, and by minimum. the way, the environmental upgrade to it, I mean, they change the standards, which makes it more expensive. Makes yeah. it more expensive. So there's a, lot, there's a financial issue at play. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, uh, who pays for that? Uh, and, and the minimum in the ice plant is going to be two and a half. It's probably more than that because of cost rises in the last couple of years. So, so where do you folks come in on that question about? Uh, is it the Civic Center that has to pay? Is it the Riverman that has to pay? Should it be somebody else that has to pay? What about the company that owns the Riverman from Canada, the Monarch Corporation? Jared, I'll let you go first. I would just love the conversation to actually happen. It, it seems like both sides are so strained. It almost seems as if a mediator needs to come in because both sides are so emotional about yeah. it right now. Someone needs well, to come I, in. Well, I will say this. We have asked the Riverman to be on. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Bart's a friend of ours. He's been on the show many times. Uh, he does, he has not, he has said no every time. So that is a little frustrating to me also because I would like to have that conversation. I, I don't speak for Bart. I know you don't. I know you guys are fans. Uh, that's I know that that's the perspective. Here. In, in my conversations with the Riverman, they've always said they, they're keeping everything private. They have a, an yeah. agreement with the PCC to keep everything private, and they've upheld that agreement. Um, but somehow, I don't know who, and I'm not pointing fingers at anyone, but somehow uh, there has there's a very vocal, almost. Uh, aggressive group of people and maybe small that's kind of rabble rousing it's not helping to let tensions ease a little bit yeah what do you say about that emily you were telling me something off air about you 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 deal with emotional people all the time yeah so in my position sometimes things get emotional and i personally don't appreciate that so In every video, uh, we have a group called Operation Save the Riverman. We are working. I will do videos every so often just to kind of fill people on and fill people in on what's going on. I will always start it and end it with 
passionate but respectful. So yeah. in like that time, yeah, that is what we want everyone to do. Does that mean everyone's going to listen to every word oh, that no, I say? Course, yeah. no, Absolutely no. not. Well, I want to ask, I'm going to go back to what you said, Jared, and ask you this. Uh, uh, so um, it, it's frustrating to me. Uh, that the, uh, the the Civic Center on one side says we don't discuss private contracts either. Uh, yet then it felt like uh, the, the while the Rivermen were also saying that the Rivermen uh, management I'm talking about uh, then that that uh, then there was a um, a desire and maybe I'm misspeaking here that the Rivermen management has nothing to do with uh, the grassroots. Uh, uh, you guys, or, or or anybody else that spoke, or that, that's sending emails and letters and all that stuff, but it felt like it feels like to me as a innocent bystander that the Rivermen are playing this in the public arena without saying they're playing it in the public arena. I'll be honest; it was just something that we started. Um, we looked at the evidence and from Dem- Dave Eminem, uh, Journal Star. Yeah, but what is it? What is the evidence that, that I, I, that's uh, that's where I'm lost? What evidence are we talking about? Well, there is a there's a big financial need. Yeah, the Riverman doesn't make as much money for the Civic Center as it costs for the Civic Center to have them, and so there's a real economic issue there that that we can't be ignored. And so, so what what are we talking about then? Well. The um, Civic Center was not set up to be a moneymaker. It was supposed to support our community and help bring in outside I talent. don't disagree. Yeah. So, to me, it, it's more of what's best for Peoria. Okay. Well, All right. That's and fair also, Personally, look, I believe a professional hockey team is best for Peoria okay. to help recruit talent. And okay. looking at the priority list, you're looking at things like a soundboard and all that kind of stuff, which... You mean of uh, expenditures at the Civic Center right now? Yeah, so on that priority list, if you kind of like bring it down and break it down, yeah. um, there's some things on there that big, um, was it the soundboard? Uh, no, yeah, the, 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 scoreboard, got the, the scoreboard. The sound yeah. system sound and the scoreboard. scoreboard. And the scoreboard. Thank you. Those two things. Yeah. So typically, like your concerts are going to bring in their own sound system. So who uses the sound system? Primarily, it's Bradley and the Rivermen. So why did that get placed ahead of an ice plant that we know has been failing? I mean, this is something I've heard of within the last three years, and I know that it's been made public before that. Right. Um, right. So this is not new information. This is information that's publicly out there. You can hear our full interview with Emily Hageman and Jared O'Brien at 1470WMBD.com. That does it for this edition of Week in Review. Join us at this time next week on this Midwest Communications station for another recap of some of the biggest issues and events in central Illinois. You don't have to wait for Week in Review to get the lowdown on what's happening in central Illinois. For instant news 24-7, follow us at 1470WMBD on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and at 1470WMBD.com. I'm Will Stevenson, WMBD News.